Hey, it's Emma. I started taking this new supplement called NAC and it's supposed to help with like detoxing your body. And I started taking it yesterday and I kind of feel like shit. So yeah. Hey, it's Emma. I feel weird. Well, it sounds like some hippie shit and it's going to make you poop a whole lot, but then you're going to see God. So (laughs) hi, my name is Jolie and I woke up at 10 o'clock this morning, which sounds like it would be a cool thing, but I did not go to bed until around seven. I did not sleep until around seven. It's the idea of feeling like you're 23 again, but with an almost 40-year-old's body. That's what's happening with me. (laughs) Like (laughs) Like I can't pull that off anymore. I just remember going to clubs all night and drinking and partying and dancing and all of our friends shouting because this was like a habit for us. We would shout in the middle of the dance floor, I got to go to work tomorrow. And everyone would be like, (laughs) and then we'd get up at like 7 a.m. and go to work. I'm like, I can't do that. No. I'm at nine o'clock. I'm like, I'm very tired right now. Me and uh, Benny stopped drinking like a week ago, which whatever. But because (laughs) of that, it's like, even if we weren't staying up that late, the next day I just felt like shit and like could barely do mom stuff. Yeah. And the kids are like, yay, we get to watch TV all day. And I'm like, it's not because I'm being nice. It's because I'm like super hungover. So not drinking anymore. You're not drinking anymore. Well, at least not right now. We'll see what happens. Okay. One day at a time, right? That's what they say in the business, the not drinking (laughs) business. (laughs) In the recovery biz. I don't know anything about that except for that people are supposed to be anonymous and I have no chill. So if I was in the recovery business, I would literally be seeing people out and being like, hey, what's up? I see you at my meat. My mashed potatoes. (laughs) Well, you can say like, oh, you're a friend of Bill's. That's what you say. It's like Bill, Bill something was like the AA dude. Because I was in AA for a little bit when I was like, I don't know, 19 to 21. And then I was like, I'm 21. I'm drinking now. (laughs) Did that. But yeah, that's what you can say. Like, I'm, I'm a friend of Bill's. That's really smart. Are you a friend of Bill's? You look familiar. Yeah. When I was still doing cuddling, I was always worried about seeing people in public because my, you know, our thing is like, you're not supposed to out anyone because it's such... Like people are still so weird about it, even though it's it's not anything. Yeah. It's just a service like anything else. It's like getting your hair cut and talking to your your barber. It's just totally, a little bit more like intimate. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the idea is that like you wouldn't like if you saw someone and recognized them, you wouldn't make eye contact. But like I said, I have zero chill and I'd just be like, Ew, what's up? I've held you Remember with my last body. Time I was cuddling you? <laughs> <laughs> I've squeezed yeah. you and watched you cry. Yeah. Do you miss doing that? Yes and no. It's it's a lot emotionally. And before I was kind of getting to a point where I was like, I'm going to need to take a little break from this for a second because it's so much emotionally. And because like you're holding someone, the kind of boundaries that you would have, like, let's say in a therapy session just don't exist. Right. Yeah. Totally. Like you can't, yeah, you can't hold the same kind of boundaries that you would as a professional therapist because a professional therapist can like completely separate from you. Like physically, mm-hmm. emotionally, all of it. They can give you what you need and then send you on your way. But as mm-hmm. a cuddler, you you don't have those kinds of boundaries. So it is like mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. And you're like taking in that energy physically. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I was already kind of needing a break. And now that COVID has happened, I feel like I'm a little 
less emotionally sound. So I think it would take me a little bit to be healthy enough to hold space for somebody else. I hear that. Plus with COVID, you're like not wanting to touch others. Well, yeah, already with COVID, like I I feel like it's not a good idea to get to like just jump back into it, even when things are technically like safe, because like my mom is immunocompromised because I have a Mm -hmm. kid because, you know, I've been sick in my life and I have uh, scar tissue in my lungs. So I had really bad asthma when I was a kid. Oh, damn. So you're kind of high risk COVID too. I don't know that I would say I'm high risk. I think that I would just get really fucking sick. But then I say that and, you know, perfectly healthy people with absolutely zero medical history just die. So who the fuck knows? Maybe my lungs would be tough enough to be like, we've seen it before, kids. Let's go. (laughs) Right. Come on, soldiers. (laughs) We got this. Hack up that mucus. We trained. We've been here before. (laughs) But yeah, I used to get like bronchial pneumonia every, every winter. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yikes. So I, I have, I was a very like sick kid for a little bit and I was on steroids when I was little. So I kind of feel like I'm at a higher risk, but I, for some reason I have just enough stupidity to think like, I think I'd be fine though. I know, right? It happens to everyone but me. I'm not trying to get sick, but if I did, I'd like fucking kick its ass. (laughs) You got this. I am worried that it's going to be the type of thing where I go back in too soon. I get sick and then I get really fucking sick. And I'm just like, if I had just waited a few more weeks, everything would be mm-hmm. fine. I know, right? I mean, yeah. I, I feel bad for people who have to take those risks because they have no way of supporting themselves otherwise. I like know, it's same. absolutely absurd that anyone has to work in these circumstances. I know. We need another stimulus bill passed. Well, we yeah. need Trump to just allow Biden to come in and start working on stuff. Yeah. Everything is taking so much longer because Trump is just like, no, but I'm winning though. I don't win. I don't like to lose. That's my Jack voice. I shouldn't do that. Like, that's my sweet boy voice. My sweet, dumb boy. He's more like, I don't like to lose. It's not my favorite. What a baby. I don't have a good segue into this, but let's go there. Shit's crazy. And people have been crazy in the past. Yes. Okay. So Trump (laughs) is crazy. People were crazy. I just watched the series Ratchet. So we're talking about lobotomy. I'm going to lay on the floor real quick. You won't see me on camera. I'm just so going to be on the floor. called lobotomy, putting, a, <laughs> putting in a brain needle and stirring the works. And I thought you'd like that. Have you ever like hollowed out an egg? Yeah. That's what a lobotomy reminds me of. Just like very gently tapping a needle in and then just letting the juices pour out. I'm pretty sure that's not what a lobotomy is. <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> no. It's also been called surgery of the soul. So tell us about lobotomies. Tell, can you tell us how to do a lobotomy? Yeah, I think so. I think with this information, I can. We can do home lobotomies. So, it's going to be like a DIY. Yeah, this is actually a training video. Wonderful. A lot of my followers have been asking me how to perform a lobotomy and today I'm going to tell you how. (laughs) I am an influencer. Guys, it's going to be DIY lobotomy. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) God damn. So yeah, so, you know, like since forever, like even in Egyptian times, people were drilling holes into skulls, which like isn't really the same thing as lobotomy, but it's sort of like people thought that was a thing to help you. 
Was it like to relieve pressure on the brain or was it for other stuff? I think it was to relieve pressure, but I don't really know why. I remember learning about it in school. And honestly, that's that's the only information I have about it. For millennia, mankind has practiced trepanning, drilling holes into skulls to release evil spirits. So this man named Egos Moniz believed that patients who were like unwell had like problems with the circuits in their brain, which is like sort of true. And in 1935, he like came up with this idea called a luectomy. So this is like the precursor to lobotomy. Basically, the idea was to like sever the fibers in the brain to like stop the, you know, I guess mostly like obsessive thoughts. So yeah, he's like the main guy in psychosurgery. He was like the dude and he got a Nobel Prize in 1949 for the creation of the luectomy. And this is after the lobotomy was a thing in the US and in the UK, whatever, we'll get there. Okay, so there was these psychologists from Yale named John Fulton and C.F. Jacobson, and they did experiments on chimpanzees that were sort of unruly, where they removed their frontal lobes, and they observed that the chimpanzees became calm and more cooperative, you know, because they're like missing part of their brain. (laughs) Also, unruly chimpanzees is just like every chimpanzee. Right? How are you determining that? Right? I know. It's an interesting study, and it's really sad for chimpanzees that like forever they've been been like experimented on chimpanzees monkeys it's really it's painful to think about the fact that like because they look like us people have been like let's destroy them i know right it's fucked up it is but yeah so those guys from yale were doing that to chimpanzees and then also i don't know if it's moniz or moniz this guy but let's just say moniz it feels less wrong i don't know Um, but he also (laughs) noticed that soldiers who had like brain injuries also like had changes in their personality To me, that's like a John Wayne Gacy kind of situation where like a swing set fell on his head and all of a sudden he wanted to murder boys. It's a thing. You know, our brains are crazy. Does it also make people more calm or does it just make people more violent? Like, I guess it depends on where like you get hit. I don't know. He observed that there was changes in character and personality among the soldiers. So he's like, okay, I think like based on these chimps and based on these soldiers, if we were to remove like white matter from the brains, somebody's mental illness would go away. Okay. So he actually didn't have any surgical training. So he needed to have somebody else (laughs) do these surgeries for him. Okay. Yeah. He had no surgical training and also he had really bad gout. So like his hands didn't work right. So they ended up testing the procedure on 20 patients. The person who did the surgery's name is Almedia Lima. So wait, was Monez like a doctor? Or was he just like, let's just take out people's brains and see what happens? <laughs> he's a neurologist. So like he okay. studied those things. But he just wasn't a surgeon. Totally. He wasn't a surgeon. You know, so he had some other person do the surgeries, which is great because <laughs> yeah. later we're going to learn that not everybody did that who had no training. No, thank you. <laughs> like, like cracking up like, oh, this is so funny. This is fucking <laughs> hilarious. I'm going to tell you about some shit that went real wrong for people. Let's go. Dude, it really did. It's bad. They found 20 patients that had schizophrenia, anxiety, and depression, and they put them under general anesthesia to do these brain surgeries. The surgeries that he was doing aren't exactly like what you saw in Ratchet. I actually think that that character was based on somebody else who I'm going to talk about named Dr. Freeman. Not the ice pick. This is like a precursor to that. So he used this like needle light like instrument and it had like a wire loop on it. So they'd put that in your brain and then turn it. Like an ice cream scoop situation? You know, I think more like, you know, when you when you do um, like sculpture with clay, there's like yeah. that one tool. It's like a stick and then oh, like the... Oh, God. So like imagine putting that in clay and then turning it. 
no, thank you. I don't want to. So the first surgery was performed in 1935 on a 63-year-old woman who was depressed, anxious, paranoid, being shit, didn't sleep. She was messed up. So afterwards, she recovered like super fine. And then they checked on her two months later and she was less paranoid. Like she seemed fine. Like it seemed like it worked really well. There was 20 people and they reported seven people were cured, seven people were improved, and then six people, like nothing happened. Nothing Which at all. Cra- <laughs> yeah, just like unchanged. It's like, well, you like... We like sliced brain, out a, but- a part of your brain, but like you had no visible changes. Like how bad do you have to be for there to be absolutely no change in your personality after part of your <laughs> brain has been scraped? I know, right? At that point, it's like it, it might as well just like have killed you if it's that bad. Because I would think that that would be a pretty bad result. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that stuff happened too. Basically, like the first 10 weren't with that, that thing, that loop. They actually just like injected alcohol into people's brains. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I'm sort of curious, like out of the people that improved, you know, which ones had the alcohol and which ones had their brain scraped? I'm assuming probably scraped because why would they change it, you know, after 10? Did these people agree to this? Were they so desperate? They're like, yeah, do whatever. Fucking scrape me up, babe. They might have been people that were in mental hospitals. Oh my God. You know, and I think a lot of times those people didn't have... Um, they didn't have a choice. Choices. Yeah, they didn't have choices. And a lot of the things that they were doing at the time in mental institutions were super abusive and terrible. Yeah, I remember that one thing from uh, the 70s. I, I can't remember which hospital it was, but it was like Geraldo Rivera going in. He was just like, I can't even describe to you the smell right now. And they were just like these these kids who were clearly like mentally ill or challenged in some way. They were basically like naked in their own filth and like <gasps> rocking and in the cold. Uh, and it's just like the wor- one of the worst things that I've ever seen. Yeah, I actually went to an inpatient facility, but like not for very long, like maybe Maybe just a couple weeks because I was like a troubled teen. It wasn't like a place of safety and security and like improvement. It actually was like really horrible. There's no like, okay, so these people are really bad off. We're going to separate them and kind of really watch them. And these people aren't that bad. Yeah, everybody's together. And there was only like maybe 13 girls or something. It wasn't a lot. And I was only there for like, I don't know, two or three weeks. Honestly, I don't totally remember. There's just like a few things that I do remember, like the huge metal doors with like the square window, you know, like that you see the rooms were like cold and I had a roommate that was like nuts and then like watching a shower. Not a good memory. Oh my and then like, God. I don't know, maybe like a year ago, I started looking into that place, you know, because I was like, I don't know what happened, but I went on some sort of like journey of my teenage years or some shit. And I looked it up and like the reviews are just terrible. Like I think still now it's like the same sort of thing where it's just like cold and horrible and not really a place of like, you know, wellness. But anyway, so I guess not that much has changed. Not that much has changed. So things are about the same. Right. No, I mean, like they weren't doing hydrotherapy to us and like shit like that. So it's not really comparable, but whatever. So now you all know that I'm like a psycho. Things are fine now. I mean, I have people in my family who have been to mental institutions. And to be to be honest, if you call someone and say like, hey, I really feel like I want to kill myself, they'll put you in a mental institution. They'll put you on it at least like what, a 72 hour hold. Yeah, that's like basically what happened. But I think I was just like crazy and hormonal, you know, and like, you know, just like regular teenage stuff, but I didn't really have the like resources within my family, I guess, to deal with it comfortably. Yeah. Yeah. And my, you know, both of my parents work in mental health. So their opinion was just like, let's just do it doctors instead of us. <laughs> like something, I don't know. Hey, my trauma. Back to other people's trauma. <laughs> 
yeah. So he ended up winning the Nobel Prize because this is a big deal. You know, back then they thought this was like super amazing. And it ended up being spread. I mean, not all over the world, but I know for sure, like the UK and the United States. So yeah. Oh, and I didn't mention the way that they accessed the skull was to drill holes in the skull, like either on the side of it or the top of it. Ugh. Yeah, it was a five minute procedure. Very quickly done. I just imagine one of those like things that you hold and then crank. I know that they had like electric drills at that time, but like that's the only thing that I can imagine. Also, it should be noted, Moniz didn't think that the loectomy should be given to somebody before like literally every single other thing has been tried. So he was like, this is literally the last case scenario. We're not just doing this to people for no fucking reason. Totally. So this guy had ethics. So moving to America um, in 1936, <laughs> this doctor named, or he's not a doctor, this man named Walter Freeman. Mr. Doctor Walter Freeman. <laughs> Basically, you know, I'm going to go to like my full information about him because he's very interesting. So Dr. Walter Freeman, neurologist, Yale graduate, psychopath. Okay. Mm. That's the title. In that order? That's the title of this section. (laughs) (laughs) So he was born in Philadelphia in 1895. He grew up in a family of doctors. His grandpa was like a big time surgeon in the war, in the Civil War. In 1916, Dr. Freeman graduated from Yale. He eventually loses his license. (laughs) Spoiler alert. He's an ex-doctor. Yeah, as of now, but at the time (laughs) we're talking about he was a doctor. So In 1924, like once he graduated, he worked in a lab at St. Elizabeth Hospital, um, which I'm assuming is a mental hospital. And it like made him feel like shit, like seeing all the people who are like tormented by their mental illness. So he decided to get his PhD in neuropathology, like to sort of understand the brain more. and, And then he became the head of the neurology department at George Washington University. Because Dr. Freeman didn't have surgical training, he worked with somebody named James Watt who he worked with at Yale. That's why they know each other. They did so many lobotomies together. So they renamed it. It was loectomy. They renamed it the lobotomy. Oh, why? Honestly, I have no fucking clue. They're just like, this is ours now. Uh huh. <laughs> we call know, it lobotomy. Loectomy was more like breaking the white fibers. An ectomy means like you're removing, right? Yeah, but that's the lobotomy. Like the lobotomy, they take like your frontal lobe out and lobotomy, oh. they like move it around or something. I don't like either of those options. So I'm going to pass. Hey there, right? <laughs> so the two of them performed so many of these lobotomies together that it actually became known as the Freeman Watts procedure. So before I go forward, I just want to talk about James Watts a little bit. So he also was doing research at Yale before he went to George Washington University to work as a neurosurgeon and do shit like that. And this was in 1935. Um, And he actually stayed doing this until 1969. And that's why they know each other because like Yale and George Washington University, they're like homies, I guess. He, this guy was like, again, like somebody with ethics. So the two of them worked together for a while. And while they were working together, that's when he started looking into Amaro Fiumberti, the Italian psychiatrist, and he was doing something Mm -hmm. called a transorbital lobotomy. Dr. Freeman decided to like work on that more instead of, you know, where they drill the holes and put the thing in. Is the transorbital in the eyeball? Yes. So this is actually (gasps) the ice pick lobotomy. Pass, pass, pass. Yeah. So at first it was (laughs) called that. He decided Did to, you just hear me pass? Right? I said pass. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't hear you about are it. learning about this, bet. <laughs> this is where stuff starts getting fucked up. Okay, so Watts didn't know that Freeman was working on this lobotomy or like this new, the ice pick lobotomy. So you hammer an ice pick into 
I guess into the frontal lobe using the back of like going through the back of the eye socket. Like, I don't know if you watched Ratched, but it's like what that guy yeah. did. Like you put it in and then like camera. It. It's disgusting. It's like so gross. But yeah, so he was able to do these surgeries super quickly outside of an operating room without a surgeon. So remember, he had no surgical training. And so he's, he's just, just like, like, I want to figure out a way to really get in there. Oh, yeah. Get my hands dirty. <laughs> So he used an actual ice pick from his kitchen at first, but then he ended up making a new instrument in 1948. Like even later, he started doing it even more differently. Like you put the thing in their eye and then you tilt up. But this like with the tool, <laughs> you go up at the tool that he had been using, like this one that he created that wasn't the ice pick. Oh no, girl. No. It was like the thing, the tool that they made was breaking off in people's fucking heads. So he needed to make a new instrument called the orbitoclast and that one worked. So when he started doing this new procedure that ended the relationship with James Watts, James, James Watts was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you have lost your damn mind, bro. No, thank you. Yeah. So he was just like really disappointed. Um, I'm pretty sure that this was in 1950 when that kind of thing started happening and he was just done. Freeman was just like, whatever, Watts fuck you. I'm still, I'm still doing this. And he went on like a a tour. He went on a tour. Yeah. So rumor has it, he had something called a lobotomobile, like, you know, the Ostermeyer Wiener car, but it was like, it's a giant ice pick (laughs) with a whole bunch of scared people printed on the front. Right. (laughs) I think it might be like a myth, you know, like an urban legend. That's what he called it. Like he was just traveling essentially. Exactly. So he was going to like all different state run institutions to, you know, go to the operating theater where people would watch. And he was like a showman, you know, like he liked performing these. He liked the, I don't even know what. So he would like show off by ice picking both of the patient's eye sockets at the same time. He's like, watch this. I'm doing it. It's like pageantry. These state institutions were like packed. They need people to be more submissive and and like receptive to treatment. Totally. And, it, you know, there wasn't even a lot of effective treatment. So he thought that this was like a really good way to get these patients back into their life. They got a little bit of their brain and then their family can manage them or whatever. So oftentimes the people who had the lobotomies performed on them needed to be retaught how to eat, taught again how to use the bathroom. Um, Many people kind of went back into their their mental illness and about 15% of the people died from the procedure. 15% is a fucking lot. Yeah, it is. For a technically non-invasive procedure like you're not having major surgery yeah I know it's like super fucked up like that's too high to like continue and I you know I think that's why James Watts was like are you fucking kidding me like I can't do this like I'm a surgeon I can't even believe that you've been doing this without me and I wonder like how much of that is like the surgery killed them because like it was just you know you you have an injury to the brain and like they're swelling or if it's like hey you introduced you know some sort of weird bacteria into their brain so on that note uh, Dr. Freeman had like he thought like germs were for pussies or something so he did most of these <laughs> these not most of them he did all of these procedures without gloves on and without masks on. Okay, so he was like just infecting people with like bacteria and viruses. He's a monster. Yeah, I just think he's messed up. God. Yeah, so, you know, and also speaking about him being like a showman and like a narcissist, like piece of shit. In 1951, there was a patient in Iowa's Cherokee Mental Health Institute. And this person died during the lobotomy because Freeman stopped for a photo. He like decided to take- Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm not kidding you. The, wow. It, it ended up that the the instrument like penetrated too far into the patient's brain when he like turned. So he's just like holding it into the brain 
while the person's just sitting there? I guess. I don't know. I didn't see the picture, but Jesus Christ. Super fucked up. Yeah. So he lobotomized 19 minors and the youngest one was four years old. So somebody named Ole Enerson, who I actually don't know who he is. I probably should have figured out who the hell he is. But he said that the ice pick lobotomy performed by Freeman, this is a quote, uh, with a recklessness bordering on lunacy, touring the country like a traveling evangelist. In most cases, this procedure was nothing more than a gross and unwarranted mutilation carried out by a self-righteous zealot. Which, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And he just continued driving cross country. So he actually ended up losing his medical license in February of 1967. He should have lost it before then. Yeah, dude. The minute he started doing like unsanctioned fucking surgeries, he should have been like, oh, by the way, we're going to need your medical license because you're a psychopath. Yeah. I know. It's like super fucked up. But this woman, her name was Helen Mortensen and she was a long-term patient. And when she was receiving her third lobotomy from Freeman, she died of her cerebral hemorrhage. Third. Mm, Yeah. So it's like, what even brain is he taking out at that point? I mean, I think in some cases it like grows back or something. I would think after the second one, you'd be like, dude, I can't just keep going into your damn brain, taking pieces. Like, no. I know. This guy's a piece of shit. I can almost understand like a second one with you're like, well, we must not have gotten the right part. But a third one, you're like, dude, no, I'm not taking any more out. We're done. Not him, though. It's like he got some sort of like sick joy or some shit from it. I don't know. So he ended up dying from cancer in 1972. And until that point, he continued driving around the country even after he lost his license. And I don't believe he was still performing lobotomies at that time, but he was visiting old patients. He was probably like talking other doctors through it. Like, look, I can't technically do it, but I can tell you how. Maybe. Yeah. And I can watch you do it and jerk off furiously in the corner. Oh my God. Furiously. What a fucking (laughs) freak. I actually have a, a little rundown of this procedure. First, they would give the patient electric shocks until they like seized and became unconscious. At that point, Freeman would take a sharp ice pick-like instrument, insert it above the patient's eyeball through the orbit of the eye into the tran- into the frontal lobes of the brain and then move the instrument back and forth and then do the same thing on the other side of the face. So wait, they weren't even giving them anesthetic. They were just shocking them until they passed out? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, they made them unconscious and then did that. And he actually, I, I didn't mention this either, but he performed about 2,500 lobotomies. Sometimes he performed up to 25 lobotomies in one day. That is horrifying. So psychiatrist Dr. John Pippard followed up on, so there's another guy, like the most prolific lobotomist in the UK. His name was Wiley McKissick. So this guy, Dr. John Pippard, like decided to check up on his patients. And he found that around a third of them benefited, a third of them were unaffected, and then a third were worse off afterward. A lot of the doctors ended up like becoming more conservative, including Wiley, because he was just kind of like, I actually don't really think putting in a brain needle and stirring the works is him who said that. And he just sort of realized like, hey, this is like kind of not cool. And by kind of, I mean, incredibly not cool. Yeah. And then once like psychiatric drugs were introduced, you know, like tranquilizers and stuff, it like totally... That changes the game. Uh, yeah, like, totally. We don't have to actually take out pieces of people's brain. We can just like sedate them if they're violent. (laughs) Exactly. So people didn't really continue doing it. So there's also somebody named Henry Marsh. He was a psychiatric nurse in a long-stay institution. I actually don't know which one. Um, But he started looking into like old lobotomy patients, like people who had lobotomies like 30 to 40 years prior, most of whom were chronic schizophrenics and 
they all like became extremely apathetic. Yeah. So, I mean, in more modern times, like looking back on what happened, like pretty clear that this was like bad medicine, bad science. None of these patients were really looked after, after the fact, you know, and it's like these patients would seem okay, but like the fact of the matter is they were like basically not social human beings anymore. Right. They weren't people anymore. They were like Mm -hmm. shells. Mm -hmm. So it's like, did the Mm -hmm. surgery work or did it just make them compliant? Exactly. Probably one of the most famous patients who got a lobotomy was Rosemary Kennedy, who is JFK's oldest sister. So her like whole life story is actually really depressing. Wonderful. I can't wait. While her mom was in labor, the doctor was not available. So the attending nurse told her to keep her legs closed and hold the baby inside until the doctor came. So she lost oxygen, essentially? Yeah. You want to know how long she waited for a doctor? How long? For two hours. Oh, my God. Yeah, And honestly, like as somebody who had a vaginal birth, I'm not really sure like how you would do that, to be honest. That woman must have had the strongest thighs in the whole world. Like the need to push is like extreme. I mean, that's the reason that people have babies like in Walmart parking lots. It's because you can't fucking control it. You're just like, oh, it's happening. Mm-hmm. Time to push. Yeah, it's totally. Oh, that's crazy. Giving birth is hard and it sucks. But then you have a baby and that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, so she ended up getting oxygen starved for two hours. Obviously, when she was born, she was disabled. She had seizures and sometimes was like pretty violent. The Kennedy's father, Joseph, loved his daughter and wanted her to be the best her she could be. He took her to see Dr. Freeman because he was famous. Yeah, I bet he was desperate, like, please, anything to help my baby. Totally. So she was 23 years old and Freeman and Watts gave her a lobotomy and it didn't go well. So she lost the use of one arm, one of her legs. She was unable to speak and she had the mental capacity of a two-year-old afterward. What level was she at before? Because she was violent and she had seizures, but was she otherwise like fairly normal of intelligence? And yeah, I know. So I think what's the most sad thing about this is that she lived to be 86 years old and 60 of those years were spent like that institutionalized. So this person is another one that's pretty famous. If you know anything about lobotomies, which who does, but I spend my (laughs) time just reading about them, you know. Yeah. So this guy's known as patient HM. He was a little boy. His name is really Henry Mollison. He was young. He like stepped into the street and a bicycle hit him and made him throw through the air. And he ended up getting brain damage because of it. Oh, God. He began having epileptic seizures. I mean, basically, he had a really rough life. He felt bad. Drugs didn't help him. He was having seizures like constantly. Like it started when he was six or seven and then just kept getting worse. So he actually went to see a different doctor who actually didn't really do that much research into, um, but his name's Dr. Scoville. This boy, Henry, was not mentally ill. You know, he had epilepsy. And all of this doctor's um, patients all were mentally ill. He still thought that this would help him. If all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Exactly. So they ended up bringing him to the operating theater. And, you know, he ended up being one of the most famous patients of the 20th century. Dr. Scoville cut into Henry's skull and exposed parts of his brain to the audience. Because he wasn't mentally ill and it was actually epilepsy, instead of just like focusing on the frontal lobe, he needed to get behind the the frontal lobes. Hard pass. Yeah, and they did some sort of test, electroencephalograph. Yeah. So they did that test and they're actually like nothing really about epilepsy showed up on it. So he's just like, okay, well, this is what I'm thinking. I think it's behind the frontal lobe. So he opens up his head and he got something called a flat brain spatula. 
And he used that to push aside the frontal lobe and expose the temporal lobe. Um, so that's like the amygdala, the amygdala, the uncus, and the anthurinal cortex. So he's looking through his brain, looking for defects, and he's not finding anything. If I was a surgeon or viewer surgeon or anybody like, well, who has a conscience, was, yeah, you'd stop. You'd say, okay, I'm looking in your brain and I'm not seeing like a lesion or, you know, something that needs to be cut out. Yeah, like, there's nothing that I can fix here. I can't see it. I'm not just going to hack away and hope for the best. Exactly. But this doctor, Dr. Scoville, which I believe is from the UK, you know, I don't really know why I didn't look into him very much. I should have because this is a big deal. But whatever. He's a doctor. He did lobotomies. He's another piece of shit. Right? <laughs> is, that, is that good? A good summary? So a quote from him is, I prefer action to thought, which is why I'm a surgeon. I like to see results. Um, but, you know, <laughs> often the results that he, he got were not really what the patient was looking for. I'm not looking to die today. I kind of just didn't want to be violent anymore. Yeah. Oh, this is disgusting. So he ended up getting a suction catheter and proceeded to destroy all three regions of his temporal lobe. <sighs> so patient HM, Henry, he ended up not having any short-term memory. You know, like he wouldn't remember things like, like fucking Dory. Oh my God. He couldn't remember like where the bathroom was in his house, um, the name of his family members, like anything. He couldn't use the bathroom. Like he, he couldn't do anything. Um, so he went from having seizures only, you know, and granted those seizures were terrible. Right. It's not an ideal way to live, but also you don't want to live like a fucking goldfish. Goldfish have better memories than that. Goldfish can remember for like nine months or something. Pretty impressive. Goldfish are smart. People don't give them enough credit. No, not at all. But yeah, like to, to not have any short-term memory, you might as well not exist. Yeah, it's really sad. And you know, like, what do you do then? Then you just live like just miserable. Yeah. I can't even imagine an existence like that because you don't know what's going on. There's no possibility for new experiences either because you can't, you can't process them. So I'm not really sure when he died, but his life definitely sucked. So um, this is another patient of Dr. Freeman. And this one is also pretty sad. So this was a child. Dr. Freeman met Howard when he was 11 years old. This is what Howard Dully says of Dr. Freeman. He was warm, personable, and easy to get along with. Was I fearful? No, I had no idea what he was going to do with me. So this is Howard Dully recounting what happened to him as a child because he ended up recovering. When Howard Dully was a child, his mom died of cancer. Mm. He was five years old. His dad, whose name is Rodney, remarried to this woman named Lou, who was just like a total bitch. You know, this kid suffered trauma. Like his mom died when she was very young and then his dad remarried. You know, he, I mean, obviously would be difficult, I think. Well, yeah. But his stepmom just didn't really know what to do with him. So they began to abuse him physically and emotionally. He often ate all his meals alone. His stepmom was convinced that he was mentally ill. You know, they took him to Dr. Freeman, who diagnosed Howard as a schizophrenic. What? Yeah. So he could be disobedient and he could be violent. But that's not the same thing as schizophrenia. No, not even close. So he was, you know, lost his mom at a young age. His dad got remarried to this abusive woman. This is from Dr. Freeman's journal. He is clever at stealing, but always leaves something behind to show what he's done. He wants people to catch him. He wants people to know that he's doing it. Exactly. So if it's a banana, he throws the peel at the window. If it's a candy bar, he leaves the wrapper around someplace. He does a good deal of daydreaming. And when asked about it, he says, I don't know. He is defiant at times. You tell me to do this and I'll do that. He has a vicious expression on his face some, some of the time. So he has oppositional defiant disorder. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So he has an attachment disorder because he lost his mom really fucking early. And then this bitch came in and like didn't give him any kindness. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's a different time. It's the sixties. I don't know if they like knew that then, but I mean, think about it. This is pretty close to when, um, he lost his license. I mean, not really. This is seven, seven years prior to that. But I mean, he was reckless. Like this was when he was already reckless and performing 25 fucking lobotomies a day. Like he sees you and he's just like lobotomy. This is (laughs) is it. So he first saw him in October, right? So at 1.30 PM on December 16th, two months later, he was wheeled into the operating theater and given a series of electric shocks to sedate him the way they were, which is so fucking weird because it's the 60s. Like, couldn't they sedate him then? Like with drugs? You would think so. (laughs) They had them. Again, like through all this time, you know, he's performing these things without his surgical training. He had the surgery. He woke up. He's just kind of like, what the hell happened? He had no awareness of what happened. He had a high fever, swollen, bruised eyes, a really bad headache. So now he's, you know, he ended up writing a book about this because it's just like so fucked up. This is 47 years later, this interview from The Guardian. And he says, people freak out when they realize the person they're talking to had a lobotomy. Um, They expect me to be drooling. He talks about what it felt like. I I assume it's just like, oh, yeah, it was fucking awful. It's real bad. It felt felt bad. It's a situation you should only go through once in your life. And that's when you're dying. It felt like a broom handle was being pushed in my brain and my head was splitting apart. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's super crazy that Dolly was able to have like a full recovery after this. Oh, and he also wasn't informed that he was getting the lobotomy. So he just showed up for a surprise lobotomy? Totally. So when he woke up. So when he woke up, he's like, oh, um, what happened? Mm -hmm. Did he think he was just getting like electroshock therapy or something? Who fucking knows? You know, and I'm curious if his parents were aware. So it's like pretty weird, you know, that he was able to, you know, recover, I guess. He says that he doesn't feel any different, but he does suffer from eye infections. And that's something that never went away. But he is very, very big. And I don't know if somehow his brain made that happen, but he's six foot seven. Holy shit. And he has pictures of his surgery because Freeman, again, being like a total fucking narcissist was recording. He record this sort of stuff. So yeah, you can see him in the, in the images laying there just totally unconscious with his mouth open. And there's like a 12 centimeter long tool in his eye socket. You know, and upon looking at these images and sharing them with this, this journalist, you know, he says, looking at it, it's like you feel this feeling of loss, you know, it's like part of your life and like your whole sense of being is like taken from you. So when he woke up, he just didn't feel like himself at all. Mm -mm. Like he did not feel good anymore. Yeah. I guess he was contacted by like a production company, like for a radio show in 2003. My guess is like NPR or something. And they looked into like surviving patients and ended up like interviewing him. And it was the first time that he actually was like, oh my God, I'm going to like admit, you know, what happened to me because he's like in denial. Like now I actually have to face it for him, you know? God, this is just so sad. He goes, you meet a guy once and you're going to let him drive spikes in your son's head, you know, about his his stepmom, Lou. But I guess the Lou died in 2001. So 2003 was like, okay, she's she's dead. There's nothing that's going to come back on me at this point. It's done. Totally. So when she died, he was like, what the fuck? And like talked to his dad about it. And his dad said that she was going to divorce him if he didn't go ahead. His dad only met this doctor once who he allowed to like do this shit. I would be like, fine, divorce me, bitch. You're not touching my son's head. The answer is no. He might be a nightmare, but he's my nightmare. Right. I just could never like I really just could never. You know, it's very interesting because it's like some people forgive Freeman, you know, and they see it sort of like I'm, you know, helping this whole family. Like I'm right. I, he wants to help. Like he doesn't see the 
negativity. I don't fucking know. It's horrifying. Yeah. So it was actually 19, it was 1960 when he was operated on, as I said. So at this time, like no hospital wanted to work with Dolly already. He was working from his private practice. And during this time when he performed on this guy, his whole life was falling apart. It was like his wife was an alcoholic. He was cheating on her. They had a child. When he went hiking, this was 14 years after he did this thing to this little kid, he witnessed his son die. Oh my God. While they were hiking in Yosemite. Yeah, his life fell apart. This article is interesting. I will share more of it in the blog because it's not only Howard Dolly who experienced stuff like this, where he was like surprised with a lobotomy. And I didn't really go that deep into it because this is about this guy who wrote the book, you know, Howard Dolly. But yeah, I'll put some of this in the in the blog post because it's pretty interesting. I mean, I can understand that like you kind of get involved in something and you start drinking your own Kool-Aid. And you're like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm doing a really great thing. So you don't want to like see what's happening around you. But at the same time, you're a doctor. It seems like you would see the the effect that you have on the lives around you and just say, okay, well, maybe even if I'm doing good for some people, it's not enough good to justify continuing. Yeah. I mean, and I just think like he was such an egomaniac that he just like didn't want to see that. Right. Whatever. That story about Howard Dully was all over the place. Um, good luck understanding that people who are listening. So there's actually something else I wanted to mention about Dr. Freeman and about him charging $25 for these procedures. That's a bargain. Yeah. Oh, and also that, that woman, Helen Mortensen, the woman who died from, you know, getting that third lobotomy, Mm -hmm. she died from that cerebral hemorrhage and he lost his license, but as many as a hundred other of his patients died that way too, you know, and she was like the last straw. (laughs) They're like, the last thing I'm going to talk about today is about women and how they were treated a little bit differently. You know, the, I thought, I really thought I was going to focus a little bit more on this, but the whole thing is very interesting. And this could really just be a whole other episode about women in healthcare because it's a real thing. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, especially women of color. Yeah. Um, And black women, most specifically. I read something recently that even like super young children, super young black children aren't given the same level of pain medication during major procedures that white children are. It's so fucked up. There's the idea that like they just don't feel pain the same way. I think that we spoke about this maybe in the, um, I don't know if it was MK Ultra. There was an episode that we did speak about this before about like, there's like medical journals that say this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just fucked up. I mean, that could just be a whole other thing, but you know, just briefly, I want to speak on how women suffered because of lobotomies. By 1942, 75% of the lobotomies that Freeman and Watts performed were on women, even though most of the institutionalized patients were men, you know, these women were not institutionalized. So they're just like, Ladies at home mouthing off. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, usually for the lobotomy, as we said, you know, it was like schizophrenia, like intense right. anxiety, like whatever. But for women, the reasons you could be given this procedure were for things like apprehension and insomnia. You know, a woman who's like obsessed with aging and like worried about it could now grow old gracefully and like take care of her home. It's like some Jeffrey Dahmer shit. Making a nice little like house zombie. That guy, Dr. Scoville, like started not liking his wife anymore and wanted to have an affair. So he gave his wife a lobotomy and she basically like turned into a zombie and then proceeded to move his younger wife into their home. And this was like a report from one of the children. I wonder if it was Dr. Freeman because Dr. Freeman's wife was like an alcoholic and 
again, I'll, I'll put like the real information in the blog. Like, please forgive me. I'm not sure what happened. Um, but at least my, br- my brain has the information. He gave his wife the lobotomy. Like he physically gave his wife a lobotomy. Yes, he physically gave his wife a lobotomy. Wow. Yeah, and it's like in the article I read, it's like the son was recalling like it being Thanksgiving or like some shit, you know, and his mom being like a total zombie at the table and like, you know, the dad with his younger wife and oh my younger girlfriend God. or whatever. Women who didn't want to be spontaneous or, you know, whatever, their husbands would do this to them and then they would just be like more normal than they'd ever been or whatever. And it's like some fucking shit. And by normal, they just mean like, she does what I want her to do now. Totally. Like women were supposed to be calm, cooperative, like domestic goddesses up until like 1954 or whatever, when tranquilizers came out. And, you know, again, they're just like feeding these to fucking women. Right. You know, like, I don't know if you just watched the Queen's Gambit, but like her adopted mother like ends up on tranquilizers and like, I need my brain to be more tranquil. And it's like, or you could like deal with your life sucking. I mean, that's still a problem now. Like, it's okay. It's okay if your life sucks. You actually don't need to be more tranquil. You need to, like, fix it a little bit. Feel it to some degree. Take medicine if you need. But, like, it it shouldn't be your first thing that you go to. Yeah. So that's some history on lobotomy. That is deeply depressing, my friend. Also, in the the U.S., like, we performed more lobotomies than any other country. Um, You know, know, maybe, like, 50,000 of them. Yeah. And by the fifties, we were still obviously doing this for like another 10 or some shit years. No more. 17 years. It was banned in 1950. It was banned in the Soviet Union, in Japan, and I think Germany. Um, Cause they're just like, what the fuck is this? Like, we can't be doing this. And of course, right. like us in America are just like, we let's like cut out the brains. Right. It's just like, what the fuck? You're just going to you be know, turned I'm, around for this entire time. Do you like the back of my head? You guys I'm reading my uh, notes from so many different levels. This has been Emma's hour and a half of poorly researched 75% <laughs> accurate information. <laughs> really doing our best to get to that 76%, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah. Well, hopefully this was informative and clear enough and it really was you all all felt like you learned something that like maybe you should check out before you share with others (laughs) i'm joking um lobotomy is rarely if ever performed today and if it is it's a much more elegant procedure you're not going in with an ice pick and monkeying around (laughs) so it's more like psychosurgery you know okay they go in and do like real brain surgery and take shit out and they're not just like oh there's nothing in your brain let's scrape it out anyway that's good. Because I know that there is like, there is some use like specifically, like I said, in, in epileptic convulsive like therapies and stuff like that for people who like the convulsants, the anti-convulsants don't work for them and they are yeah. at risk of dying literally every single time. Then totally. it, it makes sense that you would want to like have something on the back burner that you could try if nothing totally. else is working. I wouldn't be surprised though if it's not called a lobotomy anymore because it's not the same thing where they're like using a you know a tool to like get shit out of your brain from your eyeballs or whatever. whatever. Right. It would make like, sense also just to like rebrand it so that you aren't saying like I'm going to give you a lobotomy. Right. Yeah. It's like they can't. They can't because there's just like bad branding. I don't understand wanting to cut somebody's body open in general. Like I can understand wanting to help people, but like the idea of someone just getting into the like stabbing people in the brain business just for like the the giggles and the photo ops, I I don't understand. I know. Well, I, I'm you watch Ratchet. I mean, I yeah. think that that main character is 
supposed to be Freeman, like sort of. And you know what? That main character is like likable to a certain degree. Like he's like, oh, okay, well, he's trying to do something to help people. He's just yeah. not paying attention to what he's doing. Totally. Yeah. He's not fully involved in like the the aftermath. So he's not seeing like how much damage it does. In the United States, as I said, like there was, you know, approximately 50,000 people who were lobotomized. In England, there was 17,000 lobotomies. Percentage wise, isn't that like a kind of insane amount? Yeah, maybe. US versus Britain, like that percentage is insane. Yeah, it's weird. Denmark, Norway, and Sweden combined, they did 9,300 lobotomies. Wow, Scandinavian hospitals lobotomize 2.5 times as many people per capita as hospitals in the U.S. Holy shit. That's crazy. So it's like they did less overall lobotomies, but at the same time, like per capita, it was way more. I wonder Holy why. Like shit, dude. What kind, of, what kind of culture does it take for that to be a thing? Because already like our culture is fucked up enough that we had so many. It's very interesting because it's like these Nordic cultures. So they had that combined figure of of 9,300. But Whedon themselves lobotomized at least 4,500 people, most of whom were women and young children. Lobotomizing a child. I always think of Sweden being like real cool. Right. But like that's a that's a fairly recent development. Also, yeah, because that's fucking weird, man. That is a lot of lobotomies. And in Japan, most of the lobotomies performed were on children with behavioral problems. So like not even like mental patients, like on kids. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it's just very interesting to me, too, that like the first place to ban them was the Soviet Union, like based on morals, you know, and we're all like, "Ah." like the Russians are like, hey, this is too fucked up for us, guys. We're going to bow out. Yeah. Germany, too. They only did it like a few times. And they're like, "Eh, this is fucking weird. That's insanity. Mm -hmm. In France, they continued to do lobotomies until the 1980s. What? (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not laughing because it's it's funny. It's not funny. It's like, I don't know what else to do with myself. If my brain doesn't release some sort of emotion, I'm just going to lie down. Right. I know. Straight (laughs) up. That's how I feel. It's all weird. There's just like so much, so much to learn about it. You know, and something I didn't really think about is like brain bleeds. Like after that happens, like I wonder what the likelihood of aneurysm is or, you know, stroke. For me, it's like any sort of trauma will create inflammation and inflammation will do a whole host of damage. How many of those people, even if they didn't die, even if they didn't like have a stroke, had major fucking damage to their nerves? Right. Yeah. People who are are like binge eaters and stuff would get it too. Like sassy wives. I'm insatiably hungry. Please take out part of my brain. People who like food. Oh my God. My wife likes to eat and sometimes she talks back. (laughs) Have you thought about cutting out part of her brain? (laughs) Like what the fuck? What was it? The music thing was like uh, workers work and bosses smile. Wives, wife. And husband's smile. Lobotomy. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would have been lobotomized like years and years and years ago. What about you? Yeah, right? Because you're a sassy, independent woman. I'm sassy. I've had uh, some drinks in my life. I've had some drugs in my life. I've had some premarital relations. I, uh, I needed to be lobotomized. You had premarital sex? I don't say sex. That's a dirty (laughs) word. (laughs) Same Z's. Say fornicate. That sounds worse, actually. I participated in premarital fornication. 
Ew. Many a man. That's the dirtiest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have I would have been lobotomized like a million years ago <laughs> before I was even born. <laughs> uh, we know what to expect with this one. Take out her brain at birth. She started screaming the minute she came out. We got to shut that kid up. <laughs> shut her up. The moral of the story is, I think maybe be thankful for modern psychiatry. We still have a long ways to go, but we're getting there. Yeah. I think... Generally speaking, people want to do good without doing like major operations and without making people zombies. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> like there are like the occasional you'll you'll meet a, a therapist where you're just like, mm, you shouldn't be practicing medicine, actually. I know. I've seen some stupid doctors before. Oh, my God. I've met some where I'm just like, you know that you're a narcissist, right? Yeah. Are you aware too. that you're like playing God with people right now? And that's yeah. that's your whole point of doing this. It's not to help people. It's to like feel powerful, to tell people what to do. I get it though. I get how that happens. Well, yeah, it's like a position of power, right? So mm-hmm. if, if someone's drawn to like being powerful over people, it makes sense that they're going to want to like maybe practice medicine or be, you know, a lawyer or something of that nature where they can like do things and mm-hmm. they're expected to do things that like to others to hold power over other people. It's not like the the job's fault. It's just the fact that, you know, certain people are going to be drawn to professions where they get to do whatever the fuck they want to some degree with very little oversight. Yikes. Total yikes. Speaking of psychopaths, I'm excited to talk to you next week about Jack the Ripper. Oh, nice. And it's well-worn territory. I'm not providing any new insight at all. Just like a This is just like a a report. It's my senior (laughs) thesis. No, I'm basically just going to talk about, I'm not going to like cover in depth any of the like major murders because everybody already knows about that shit. But I'm going to talk about some of the theories that people have and some of the craziness of like people getting really into the mystery of Jack the Ripper because there have been some insane people who have become like really obsessed with it. I love it. I can't wait. I love hearing about crazy people, just like people who do weird stuff. Yeah. Jack the Ripper for sure needed a lobotomy and he might have even gotten one. Well, we'll talk about that. Oh shit. Cool. What a nice like connection here. Yeah, a little a little connecting point. We're gonna we're gonna talk about stuff that makes you sad and mad, and then we're gonna leave. <laughs> we have an I read a thing. You can follow us wherever you stream podcasts, and also on social media. You should follow our Instagram. We are at I read a thing podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at I read a thing. For some reason, on Instagram, someone is already I read a thing, and it kind of pisses me off. Asshole. We should offer them $20 for the name. They're probably going to ask for like $1,000. So hi, yes, we have $5 and we're hoping (laughs) you will give us your Instagram name. Do you want one like frozen pot cookie? Because I have it. Can I have that name from you, please? (laughs) (laughs) So my Instagram name used to be Shouty Supreme, which whatever, that's what it was. And I changed it from that because I was feeling like maybe that was kind of silly, like as an adult. And somebody else who has like one follower took the name. Like they never use it. Like, I don't understand why. Who else would think of it? I mean, it's spelled like S-H-A-W-T-Y, like shoddy. Like, come on. Like someone just waiting and they're like, oh, she changed it. I'm going to fuck her over (laughs) just by taking it and not doing absolutely anything with it. God, people are weird. But anyway, follow us because we are there. 
at I Read a Thing Podcast. Also, go ahead and take a moment if you if you like us to rate us on Apple Podcasts because it's helpful and mm-hmm. because we asked you to nicely mm-hmm. with our and faces. If you don't like us, just stop listening and leave us alone. Yeah, if you don't like us, you can go ahead and keep listening, but just turn the volume like way down because we still want your listen, but <laughs> we just don't want you to say mean things to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we will be back next week with a completely amazing look at Jack the Ripper. And we're not going to tell you anything that you already know. We're not going to cover the basic facts, just the fun ones. Love and by it. fun ones, I don't mean like murder. I mean, just like people getting weirdly obsessive about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. A little bit about him, right? Or like a little bit about the women who love him like that. There were a lot of people who were super obsessive about Jack the Ripper. Spoiler alert, people get weird about killers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert, everybody loves a mystery, but not as much as they love a murder mystery. Yeah. Because people are creepy. We love you. We hope we'll see you in two more weeks for our next episode. And thank you so much. Happy holidays. All right, bye. Goodbye. (laughs) 